Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Hey guys, doing doing good today? Good, 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 good. Man, uh, it is good to be with you today. If you're in Montgomeryville joining us, man, we want to welcome you to, to the service, to the experience online. Joining us, we want to welcome you as well. Um, and we are in week number two of this sermon series called Samsonite. Samsonite, if you're not a uh, church person, uh, the Bible can be an overwhelming book. I, I, I would have that agreement with you. And uh, oftentimes, you could assume that every person in the Bible, it, like they're heroes, like they're, it's written. So you think David and Goliath or Daniel in the lines then, or Noah built the ark or, you know, Queen Esther, if you've ever read that story, that's a great story. Or, or Ruth and like all these people, Peter, but like a, there's a lot of people in the Bible that uh, it just, uh, they're, they're just failures. They just, they're just absolute utter failures. Here's the key that God still loved and used, but we should still learn from their lives and not make the same mistakes. And so Samson is a, is a story about a guy who had everything given to him and completely screwed it up. That's it. And I, I just have a heart for that because I see as a pastor so many people who, he's uh, like a coach kind of, where you see like, hey, this is what they could be if they would just fully follow the Lord, if they would just do what he says to do it. They would just make that decision. And one of the hardest parts of being a pastor is watching people miss that and, and, and fall into pits that were even darker than when they began. And I just, if I can keep people from, from making decisions like that, using God's word, I, I, I want to do that. So that's the goal of this sermon series. Last week, we started in Judges chapter 13. We talked about Samson and build a foundation. And I said this to you. I said, hey, listen, God's going to bring success in your life. But nothing ruins more people than success. So you don't get prepared to handle success. When you get success, you get prepared to handle it before that. Because if you're not, it'll destroy your life. And we begin to see this in the life of Samson uh, today. And so uh, today I want to talk to you on the topic of, of compromise. We kind of built into it last week with the, with the, the Jenga pieces. But today I want to specifically focus on compromise. I call this message catastrophic compromise. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. I'm not going to pray it right now, but when we end the day, we're going to do an altar time. You know, I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes. You've been to church before. And I want you to pray this prayer. It comes right out of the book of Psalms 139. And here's, here's the prayer. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. This is a prayer. Search me, know, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And here's what he says in the psalmist. He says, see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I want you to do some, some work in my spirit, Lord. And I want you to tell me if there's anything in my life that I need to work on. Because here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. Uh, he wants to meet you here. He wants to speak to you. Uh, he wants to convict you sometimes. He wants to encourage you. Uh, he wants to pull things out of you that shouldn't be in there. He wants to move you in a different direction that's going to destroy your life. And he'll be in your business. I don't know if you knew this about God or not. He don't leave you alone. Anybody ever realize, like, anybody ever have God tell you to do something, you don't do it for a couple days, and he just doesn't stop telling you? 
and just keep you up, that's a really health, healthy place to be at. And so I want you to just, God, we're going to talk about compromise, and I want to kind of explain to you through the life of Samson how big of a deal that compromise is. Here's what compromise is. Compromise is a, to make an honor, dishonorable or shameful concession. So there's something in your life that you concede to spiritually that you shouldn't because God said you shouldn't. But you go, I'm going to move a little bit, right? Like God says to stop here, but I'm going to move a little bit in this direction. No harm, no foul. Uh, one of, my, one of, one of the, the smartest pastors, I would say, in the, in the United States, his name's Pastor Tony Evans. Uh, he, he, he said this. I love this. He says, compromise is the cancer of the church. He said, we must rid ourselves in the body of it. While Christians can compromise on preferences, so there's certain things we do other churches don't do. There are preferences, music, things like that, right? He says this, we cannot compromise on principles. Compromise, he says, is a slow process. It's a thousand small concessions in the heart and mind that eventually wear away the truth. Uh, so 100 years ago, about 100, a little over 100 years ago, 110 years ago, there was this little boat. It was kind of popular. It was kind of a big deal called the Titanic. You guys know what I'm talking about? And uh, the Titanic was a 46,000 ton piece of equipment that sailed on the ocean. That's, that's, just think about the miracle of that, that you could put that in the body of water that the, that the Lord created and you could, you can stay up, right? And so they made this and it was designed to be the unsinkable ship, right? And so it hit a, uh, an iceberg, a piece of ice in the middle of the ocean. You remember the, the movie? And People die, and Leonardo DiCaprio falls to the bottom of the ocean, right? And they interview an old lady, and they look for the diamond. And so uh, you remember that whole thing. You remember that movie. And so uh, that, that ship sank in three hours. Unsinkable ship hits an iceberg and sinks in three hours. Therefore, they cannot get a rescue crew out there, and many, many people die. Now, most people, when it happened... Made, made the same assumptions we made. It hit an iceberg, it went down. Some people were like, some of you, you know, like some of more right-wing people in here, everything is, is, is like, you know, they say something, but then there's something else going on underneath the story. We don't ever know the truth. So at that time, a lot of people thought it was the Germans that blew up the Titanic, right? The Germans blew the Titanic up in the middle of the ocean. They had all these theories. Years later, they had, they had better technology. They studied the Titanic and uh, the structure of it and what had actually happened. And what, what they found is uh, in the front of the Titanic, in the bow of the ship, was what they, what they call rivets. They were these six-inch you know, pieces of technology that held the boat together. And most of the time, the rivets, if you studied, if you studied boat technology, most of the times uh, they were made of steel. But in the Titanic, many of them were made out of, out of iron. The reason they were made out of iron is because they were in a hurry and they needed to get the Titanic done to get it on, on, on the water because they had a lot of rich people wanting to get on this boat so they could say they, they went on the first, the first you know, voyage across the ocean. What they also found is there was a lot of people who were doing and building the boat that were very new to boat building. They were apprentices. To cut corners, they hired a bunch of apprentices, right? If you've ever been to an apprentice for anything, it's scary, right? If you're, I'm a barber person. If, I, if you're like, yeah, I'm an apprentice, I'm like, no, right? Like, work on somebody else's hair. And so... Uh, like an apprentice, that's not typically somebody you want to you put your life in the hands of them. And what they found is if they would have done it right, uh, there was some other words I don't understand, slag. If you're a boat person, I guess that you shouldn't, it had too much slag in the rivets. What they found is uh, when, the, when the Titanic hit that piece of ice, there was a 12-foot piece of damage on the boat. If they would have made it with the right rivets, it would have floated for another roughly 9 to 12 hours, and every person on the boat would have been saved. 
And the reason is somebody somewhere compromised. And here's, here's the problem with compromise is you don't often see the effects right away. You don't. Like you can compromise and get away with it. You can compromise and it can make you happier. Like some of you have compromised in the person you're dating and you're happy right now. Right? And you think, I want you to be happy. Here's the thing. God does not, is not interested in your happiness. I just want you to know, your happiness is fleeting. The Bible says he's interested in your joy. And you're dating somebody right now, and you're like, it's fine. No harm, no foul. At some point, you're going to hit a piece of ice. Some of you stopped coming to church the way you should be coming to church. Some of you stopped being faithful with your gifts, your talents, your time, your money. Like you stopped being faithful in those areas. Just a little bit of compromise. Some of us compromise when we have kids. Like we have these convictions in our life and then we have kids and we just, you know, it's, it's hard, man. You just, you compromise. Some of you compromise right now in your marriage. You had like convictions. Like we won't do this and we won't be here and we won't talk to the opposite sex without our, per, per, but you're, you're compromising right now and nothing's happening. Like nothing's happening. Some of you, you're compromising on what you're looking at on social media. Like you're trying to stay faithful and you said, I'm going to stay faithful to this person. But if you're honest with somebody in this place, your marriage isn't where you want it to be. And you're beginning to scroll into your past and find other re older relationships. And you're starting to believe the lie that the grass is greener on the other side. And we all know that the grass is greenest under the septic tank, right? And so like it, it, it is not necessarily true and you're, you're compromising some of you just got that and so and I want to show you this part of Samson's life because his life falls apart we, we, we showed you last week but I think chapter 14 is where it all starts to go wrong we're gonna spend two weeks here I want to talk to you about compromise I call this the uh, catastrophic compromise and the next week I want to talk to you about spiritual entitlement spiritual entitlement and I want to I want you to remember before we read Judges chapter 14 just a few things about Samson Remember God told his mom, this baby's going to be awesome. Those are kind of the words. Uh, your baby is going to be strong, big deal. I'm going to be a judge in the land. Uh, going to lead your, your, these people away from, remember what the Bible says, if you, 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 can, you can go back, and I think I put it in your notes, you're going to lead them out of the control of the Philistines. Now, some of you don't understand who the Philistines were. The Philistines in the Bible are God's people's enemies all throughout the Old Testament. You ever read David and Goliath? Goliath was a Philistine. Like, the Philistines were always bad. One of the reasons that God always wanted his people away from the Philistines is the Philistines worshiped false gods. The main god was the, was the god of da called Dagon, D-A-G-O-N. He was the God of fertility and the God of food or crops. And the way that they would worship this God is they would literally sacrifice their kids on altars where they would burn them in the hopes that he would make them more fertile and give them more, more crop. So of course, God, who doesn't call, ask us to sacrifice our kids, is going to sacrifice his only begotten son in our place and saying, I don't want you to worship me like that. And I don't want you to be influenced or affected by then. But what, by then, but what would happen is they would constantly be at war, be affected, take up their practices. And so God was sending judges in. He says, Samson's going to come in and he's going to defeat the Philistines. He's going to bring freedom. He's going to get you out of their, their control, but he's going to be a Nazarite. He's going to take a Nazarite vow. If you weren't here last week, you remember what, what God asked him to do. Here's a few, few things that I want him to do. Number one, I don't want him ever to touch alcohol, ever, ever. I want him to stay away from it because he's set apart. I'm going to use him for a very specific thing. Second thing is I don't want him to touch any dead things. I want him to stay away from dead things. And the third thing is I want him to grow his hair out, right? Like just whatever hairstyle you're thinking about, right? Like you just want him to grow long hair. He's going to be buffed up. He's never going to touch alcohol and he's never going to touch dead things. And if he does those things, I'm going to do a great work through his life. So with all that in mind, 
let's go on a journey through chapter 14 because it is a train wreck. Watch what the Bible says in Judges chapter 14, verse number one. Samson goes down to Timnah and there sees a young Philistine woman. Here's the problem. Should have never been in Timnah in the first place. Of course he sees a Philistine woman. That's where the Philistine people live. This is like saying, I saw porn in the middle of the night on my computer that's not monitored and there's no accountability. I saw half-naked people on Instagram. Are you preaching with me? It's not, it's not a shock. Like, how did I see that there? Right? I saw nudity on Netflix. Like, you say, it's, it's part of the journey, right? Like, every show that you look, it's, if you read it, it's like, yeah, there might be a little bit of nudity. It's like an alcoholic being like, I went down the street of Phoenixville, Main Street, and I got drunk. You're like, because you went on Bridge Street, right? It's everywhere. Like, this isn't, I went to Timnah, and there, where Philistine women live, I saw an attractive Philistine girl, the Bible says compromise, right? Watch what the Bible says. It says that when he returned, he says to his father and mother, I've seen a Philistine woman, duh, in Timnah, right? Now get her for me as my wife. You're supposed to go beat them. You're trying to marry her. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all the people? We can explain that later. Must, (laughs) this is the Arkansas stuff, right? And so, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistine women or what people to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one. Ever been there? I know you say she's not the right one, but I know better than God. I know better than God. I like her. She looks good. She smells good. Her teeth are all there. I like her. Now, God's so good in this situation, he's going to redeem this. He says his parents did not know this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. So God's going to use this to start some trouble, right? But Samson don't know this. Now watch what the Bible says. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother as they approached the vineyards of Timnah. Now, what's he not supposed to drink? Come on, preach with me. And he's going to take a... He's going to take a ride through the vineyards, right? It's like, a, it's like an alcoholic, right? Saying they're going to go to a vineyard out in, you know, the middle of, of Pennsylvania uh, to see the, see the landscape. You're not, spo- you're not supposed to be in a vineyard. You're an alcoholic, right? You're not supposed to drink alcohol. Why are you walking through a vineyard, Samson? What do you think you're going to find there? Compromise. Watch what the Bible goes on to say. As they approached the vineyard, suddenly a long lion came roaring towards him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Now, I don't know about you, but both of those are impressive. (laughs) He, he He tore the lion apart, but he didn't tell his father or mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman and he liked her. Sometime later, he went back to marry her. He turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. And in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands, and he ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they ate too. But he did not tell them he had taken the honey from a lion's carcass. Why didn't he tell them that? Because he wasn't supposed to touch what? He compromising. We're going to talk about a little bit of entitlement. I think Samson's going, I killed it. There's honey in the carcass. This must be from God. 
but he's not supposed to touch dead things. Gets even worse. The Bible says now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast as was customary for the young men. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. Now, here's what's interesting. That customary feast, you know what they did at that customary feast? They drank. In that time, weddings started seven days before the actual ceremony happened. You know what they did for seven days? They partied. It was customary. How many times do this as Christians? Well, I know I'm supposed to be at church, and I know I'm supposed to serve, and I know I'm supposed to, you know, obey the Lord, and I'm supposed to, but that's not, it's, you know, it's so weird to everybody else in, in our culture. It's customary for them to do this, and so because it's customary for them, I'm going to compromise in my faith so that I look more like them. Over and over and over again, what do you see? You see Samson compromising in his faith. And he, here's the problem with it. In Proverbs 14, it says, there's a way that appears right. It pe- it's fine, right? There's a way that appears right. But watch what the Bible says. This is said. In the end, it leads to death. Now, in Samson's life, this is literal, literally going to happen. For some of you, God's so gracious to you that he doesn't allow you to die in your compromise because he continues to give you the opportunity to change so that you don't wreck your life. But some of us abuse the grace of God and we just continue to compromise in our faith. And the Bible says there's a way that seems right because here's the problem with compromise. It doesn't, it doesn't usually feel bad. It doesn't, it doesn't usually go bad for us right away. We don't really pay the piper right, right away. Like stuff doesn't fall apart right, right away. It, it, it almost catches us. Like it almost get, catches us off guard. It's kind of like this. And I've used this illustration before, but I don't know if you ever read about how to boil a frog. And I'm not a, I'm not a frog eating person, but some of you, you eat anything, right? And so, could you imagine if you put a frog in a boiling water, what would it do? It would jump out. It's a frog. You would put it in boiling water and you would jump. So here's how you boil a frog. Here's how you boil a frog. You put the, the, the frog in a pot in warm water and the frog kicks back and thinks he's in a hot tub. <laughs> right? And then, because he's comfortable, what do you do? You turn the water up just a little bit. You get a little hotter. The frog adjusts. He's like, ah, oh, it feels so good. Turn it up a little hotter, a little hotter, a little hotter. The frog keeps adjusting because he doesn't recognize his environment is changing until eventually the water is boiling and you're making frog soup. And the frog has literally been sitting in an environment that was going to destroy his life, but it happened over time. He, can I just explain to you something? And I know we're going into Halloween and everybody has assumptions about how Satan looks and what this is and what this isn't. Satan does not jump out of a dark corner and say, today I'm going to ruin your life. And you go, let's go. Good idea, Satan. Satan grooms you. Satan finds little, little cracks in your, your spiritual foundation he finds little moments in your mind where you're, you're having a hard time uh, coming up with, with uh, the right answers. He finds moments where you're disobedient, but you know the things you should do, but you're just a little bit disobedient in those areas. Uh, he finds moments where, where you're, you're happy, like, you know, like you're happy. Like that's what a lot of spiritually immature Christians think. Like God is for my happiness. And so it's how I'm happy. So if I'm happy, it has to be for God. And he, he, God's, he, God's going, no, I'm not for your happiness. I'm for your joy. And joy is outside of that emotion of happiness because happiness changes. Anybody ever have an iPhone and then a new iPhone comes out? And have an old car, and then, and then you're, you get a car, it's new, and then, then it gets old and you're not happy. You want a new car? You do this with your spouse, do this with your kids, do this with everything. It's not about your happiness, it's about your joy. And what does Satan do? He just continues to groom us and groom us and groom us until eventually, eventually he destroys our life. In fact, here's what I wrote in my notes, and I want you to write this down. Compromise will often begin 
with seduction. But it will lead to destruction. Compromise will begin with seduction in your life. But, but I promise you, I promise, I want you to understand this. Satan hates you. He hates you. That addiction that you were saved from by Jesus Christ, he wants you to compromise and he wants to take you back to that pit. That marriage that he's given you, that he's redeemed, he's restored, he's brought you from, from nothing, and he sees you walking in that healthy marriage, he wants to destroy it. Those kids that are getting raised in a healthy home, right? You're loving them the way the Father loves you, not perfectly because you are not perfect, but you're giving them grace and you're showing them Jesus and you're bringing them to church. He wants to destroy your life so that he can destroy your kid's life. And he's not going to do it in a, in a single instance. You're too smart for that. So you know what he's going to do? He's going to get you to compromise one small step at a time. In fact, the Bible says this, this verse is so good. In Ephesians 4, it says, don't give the devil a foothold. You leave a door cracked in your life, and he has a great way of kicking that thing in. Let me just give you a few, a few areas in my own life, and uh, maybe your own life, that maybe you're struggling with, that you don't even recognize, that, that maybe it would be, be a jolt to you, that you would go, oh, that's an area that I'm compromising. And number one is this, is uh, excuses, excuses. Here, here's what I have found in my own life. Uh, I use excuses to protect myself from feeling the need to change. Anybody else? I have a spouse, and she wants me to be better all the time. Anybody else have an annoying spouse like that? <laughs> so we have hard conversations. And uh, there's, we've been, we're going to be married 20 years this year. I can't remember more than two or three times where I've been real accepting of it. She says, I'm not good at it. My first go-to every time is excuses. Every time. Hey, you should change this. Hey, you don't know about my job. My job is really stressful, Leah. Tears come down my face, right? Like, whatever I can do, it's a protection mechanism. And we do this in church. We do this all the time. Like, I can start talking about it. Hey, man, you just come to church every week. Where you been? Every week. You didn't miss. Where you been? <laughs> what do you get from people? Excuses. Excuses. I've been busy. My kids are in sports. You know, I, I've been sick. It rained last week, right? Like, uh, 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 it's cold outside. It's hot outside. It's, it's snowing. Like, I mean, how many excuses? It just give excuse after excuse after excuse. Hey, man, you used to serve, man. You were serving all the time. Like, you stopped. A lot of people, I saw, none of us during COVID, right? Like, it was like you got all, all let off the hook, right? Like, you were serving and COVID hit. You're like, I don't got to serve anymore, right? Like, I already paid my time, right? And so, like, and they come back to church, and you're like, yeah, you should start serving again. Yeah, but, like, I don't got time, or you don't need me. Like, you're, I just want, we don't need you. That's not what I want you to serve for. I just want you, like, I want you to be part of what's going on because it changes your life. Are you tracking with me? People that serve, like it literally impacts your life to give and be about other people. The more you're about yourself, the more miserable that you're going to be. The more that you're about other people, the more God can take care of your life and you don't have to worry about it. But we give excuses. Hey, why'd you stop giving? What is excuses? What happened in your marriage? Why aren't you loving your spouse right? I mean, just excuses. How about the kid? Everything is about excuses. And here, here, here's what I know. I want, I want you to, it, taking responsibility as a Christian is the first step towards repentance. So making excuses is the first step towards rebelling against God. Taking, taking responsibility is the first step. God, I'm a sinner. I need your saving. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need your hope, right? That, that's, that's the first step towards a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, Making excuses is a step away going, hey, I don't, 
I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need it. I don't need this. I don't need to change. I, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. Ex- excuses in our lives. And I'm just telling you, Satan does a lot of damage in our lives with the excuses we make. Justification is an open door for Satan all the time. Where in your life right now have you made just a little change, just a little adjustment? You're doing something just a little different than you were doing a year, two, three years ago. You've been a Christian for 10 years. I don't know about you, but it gets harder to keep living by your convictions the longer that you're doing this. Where have you made a change? Where have you switched? Not because the Holy Spirit said change, but because you got more relaxed. Excuses. Number two is this, hunger. Hunger. I've seen Satan uh, lead me to compromise through my spiritual hunger. Now, you'll hear all the time from people, they'll say this, they'll say, uh, you are what you eat. Anybody ever hear that? That's not a lie. That's 100% true, right? You, you are what you eat. If you don't like the way that you look, change what you're eating. Are you tracking with me? The problem is I don't want to change what I'm eating. And so, uh, and I make excuses, right? And so, uh, but if you want to change how you're looking, you want to lose a couple pounds, you want, it's not just, you can't just go to the gym and they eat whatever you want. I've tried that, right? Like you have to change what you, what you eat. And so here's the thing. When you come to faith in, in Christ, uh, one of the steps of maturity is beginning to change how you spiritually eat, what you watch, uh, what you listen to, uh, who you listen to, what you read, what you scroll, like all those things. We used to teach our teenagers when I was a te- youth pastor. I still try to teach my kids garbage in, garbage out. Whatever you focus on becomes your, your, your reality. And so for some of us, we've allowed the spirit of Satan to come into our lives and began to bring compromise because of what we're putting in, in, into our bodies. So let me just, let me just walk you through this. Uh, spiritual hunger. Uh, you, you began, uh, and, and recently maybe, you began to watch things you shouldn't watch. They're popular. I mean, let's just, you're trying to spiritually uh, live, live in purity. There's things on TV that you should not watch. I mean, if you're trying to have a mind that's, that's of Christ, a mind of purity, a mind of light, a mind of righteousness, uh, a, a mind of kindness, uh, a, a mind of mercy, uh, a mind of all those things, it's really hard to watch Jeffrey Dahmer's documentary. Can I, can I just preach? I can guarantee you watch that. You don't come away going, hallelujah, Jesus, for the cross, right? You, you come away going, oh my God, my, my, I feel dirty. Like my spirit feels dark. Like I, I feel like I should pray and take a shower. Like I pray, I pray, like I shouldn't be watching this. It's hard if you're, if you're trying to spiritually stay pure in your marriage to watch things on TV with naked people. It's, it's hard. It's not art. It's how Satan gets into our lives. It's not, it's not okay. It's, it's, it's compromise in your life. Some of you, what you listen to, like you're trying, you're trying to think of the things. The Bible says whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's lovely. Think about those things. Meanwhile, you listen to country music all day long. Am I right? You can always tell. Ah, that's too far, Pastor, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. Someday we're going to open a Limerick campus back up for you, right? And get you some hay to sit on in there and a trough for your horses, right? And, you know what I'm saying? But I'm just saying you listen to things. I'm just playing with country music, but you listen to things you shouldn't listen to. You, you scroll and read articles you shouldn't be scrolling through. And, and all of a sudden, you're, you're feeding your body with, 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 with junk food. And then, then I'll say stuff like, hey, you should read God's word. And you'll be like, I'm not hungry for it. 
I'm not hungry for it. Like, I, I don't understand God's word. You should get up and pray. I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know how to do it. And I'm like, you should come to church. Like, this church is so boring, right? Like, you literally sat, right? You've literally sat for seven hours yesterday and binge watched a show you've seen 16 times. And you walk into this place for 35 minutes, 45 minutes. Most of you don't get here when it starts. Let's be honest, right? And you're like, it's so boring. I don't get anything out of it. And here's why. Because you've created an appetite for junk. You've created an appetite for junk in your life, and you're filling your life with junk, garbage in, garbage out. You know this is true. Anybody ever have a little kid, and you're like, they're a picky eater? I got a picky eater? I got a picky eater? No, you, you failed. You got beat. Let's just say it. Your kid at one point had a fit, and you said, I don't want to deal with it. Here's the chicken nuggets. Am I, am I preaching Right? When you first started feeding your kid, you came at them like we all did. You got that diarrhea in a jar, a.k.a. peas, and you said, this is going to be so good. And what they do? They turned their nose to it. They didn't want that. Looks like poop. And so what did you do? You got the bananas out. And you began to feed them bananas. That's all they wanted to eat. And they beat you. You developed the hunger for the wrong things in your kid. Same thing is happening spiritually to so many people I know. And Satan loves it. Because as he fills our lives with lies and darkness, he begins to, to have his way. That's compromise. Number, number, number three is this, is, uh, is, is time. This one's important. Uh, the, the greatest work that Satan will do in your life is in the time between when you hear what God wants you to do and when you actually do it. Can I just tell you the greatest problem in, in my church? I'm not going to talk about everybody else's church. My church is you have ears to hear. You have eyes to see. Uh, but many of you don't have hands that work and feet that move. So you, you hear the right thing and you see it. He speaks to you here, but you leave this place and it don't go with you. You don't make the right decision. You don't make the right call. You don't break up with the person you're supposed to break up with. You, you don't make the changes in your life and you just keep going. And here's the problem. You expect things to be different. You even pray and ask God, God, change my situation. Here's what God says. He said, I tried to three weeks ago. I tried to tell you three weeks ago, and then my spirit has been knocking at the door of your heart, but there's been the time it, I told you, and the time it is now, that in-between time, that's where Satan does a lot of damage in your life. He gets you to compromise. He gets you to be disobedient. He gets you not to make the change, and here's what he loves. He gets you to keep from going to where God wants you to be. Some of you won't make the decision God's asked you to make. You won't let go of the things God's asked you to let go of. You won't say no to the things God asked you to say no to. You won't make the adjustments God's asked you to make the adjustments to. And you won't ever do it. And you're going to get to heaven someday. And here's the reality. God's going to look at you and he's going to say you made it. But I, I, I always think this. He's going to pull down a big screen and he's going to say, here's the life you were supposed to have. But you never made the decisions I needed you to make. So you're in because I love you and I have grace for you. But you missed it. Here's the spouse you were supposed to have. That's the spouse you married, right? You're going to pull it down. You're going to go, dang it. <laughs> Here's the career you were supposed to. I'm preaching right. Nothing worse than compromising in who you marry. That's a long life. Here's the job you were supposed to work at. Here's what you did your whole life. You're going to pull it down. Here's where you were supposed to live. Here's the accomplishments you were supposed to make, but you would never do it. Time. And the last one, the last one is space. He, he does a lot of damage when, when we are uh, in the spot where space has been created in our lives. So here, here's, here's what I know. 
Here's what I know. I think this is, this is so true. Is if you show me a person who is not living in close fellowship with God, I'm going to show you a person who's on the way to even bigger problems in their life. Here's what I mean. It's the weirdest thing in the world. We don't see it. But every, every attack from Satan pretty much in a Christian's life is about keeping you from church. You, don't, you ever notice he don't try to keep you from work? <laughs> I, never met, I never met somebody before. They're like, yeah, why don't you go to work today? Satan kept me from it, man. He just oh, overworked me, right? You go to work every day. I don't remember the last time that Satan kept your kid, you from going to your kid's sports game. He doesn't me like I'm there. I don't want to be that dad. But you know how many times I meet people, I'm like, hey, you were in a church last week. Yeah, man, it's just stuff came up. Stuff came up. Or, or my favorite, my favorite is uh, when somebody's on one of our serve teams and uh, life gets busy or life gets hard or they go through a season and they go, hey, we can't serve right now. We, we just got to take a break. Like we, we got to get ourselves together. I'm thinking, dude, that is the, the stamp of death in your spiritual life. Here's the, way, here's the way to fix your life. Here's what it says in the Bible. Here's how it says it somewhere. It says, here's how you fix your life. When, when your life feels overwhelming, focus more on yourself. That'll fix it. It doesn't say that. <laughs> Just somebody's like, hey, where's that at? Right? Let me take notes. I can do that, right? When your life feels overwhelming, when, when your family feels overwhelming, when, when, when your marriage feels overwhelming, you don't focus on yourself. You focus on others. You focus on the Lord. You focus on bringing him your best. You seek first the kingdom of God and everything else everybody else is constantly searching for, Jesus says, will be added to your life. So that space gets in the way, pull, pulls you away, and he begins to, to do damage. So here, here, here's, my, here's my question. Um, how, how much compromise in any one of those areas is too much? That's, that's, I want you to think about that. And how much compromise... It, what was, if, 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 if Samson would have just stopped at the vineyard, would that, would that have been too much? Would that have been cool? If Samson would have just, you know, uh, not had a party where, where there was alcohol, they just had duels there, right? And they just, just drank that and they just, you know, did, would that be too much? If Samson would have just taken a little bit of honey, not a lot of it, would, what's too much compromise? And I'm going to end with uh, this same thing I told my teenagers years ago, I actually I wasn't a youth pastor. I used this sermon illustration, but I'm 42 and I'm mature now, so I didn't think this would fly. And so Jenga is the limit of what I do. But when I was a teenager, I would do anything to get a, or a youth pastor, anything to get a point across to the kids. And so I was going to talk about compromise, and I saw this illustration online, and I was like, this is perfect. Uh, and the illustration involved brownies. So I went to the store, I got some Betty Crocker brownies, and uh, I followed the instructions to a T. How many eggs? the mix, oil, butter, put it in the pan, started to stir it. And right before that I dumped the brownies into the, the, the pan to cook it, uh, I went across my, to my neighbor's yard. My neighbor had a little poodle thing. And uh, I just got a spoon and I scooped up a little bit of the poodle's dog poop. And I stuck it in the brownie mix, just a little tiny bit, and I stirred it all up. And I cooked them. And I took it, yeah, you didn't want me to be your kid's youth pastor. And so <laughs> I took it in, I cut them up, I put them down. And so, you know, like sometimes you just, you know, you, you know, like ways to motivate teenagers. So teenagers are always motivated by food, always. And so before you preach, you know, sometimes it was like you were doing something illegal to them by preaching to them for 20 minutes, right? And so 
So I was like, hey, before I preach tonight, I want to give you bra- everybody brownies. You've been so good. You're listening. I got brownies for you. I cut them up. I passed them out. They were getting ready to eat them. I was like, oh, no, don't eat them. <laughs> Hold on. We're going to pray for them first. <laughs> and so we got ready to pray for them. And as I began to pray for them, I said, hey, let's, let's, let's pray for these brownies. And I said, hey, but let me just tell you what's in these brownies. And we don't know. We know what's in brownies, right? I said, let me just make sure you understand. I said, I read it to you. I said, there's, there's this much oil, there's this much eggs, this much butter, this much mix, cooked it at this temperature, you know, all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, hey, okay, let's eat them. I was like, hey, just before you know, before, I, I put a little bit of dog poop in there. <laughs> Not enough that you'll taste and it won't kill you, but just a little bit of dog. Now, how, how much dog poop is too much dog poop? How much? Is there a limit or, or is the answer... No dog poop. So there's always one kid in the back. I remember we had this kid named Gregory. He's like, I'll eat them all. He's crushing them, right? He's fine, right? And uh, I, just, I just told him, I said, hey, listen, we're going to talk about compromise tonight. You guys are in high school. There's going to be middle school. all sorts of compromise going on. I said, how much dog poop too much dog poop? They freaked out. We don't want any dog poop. I said, the same thing with compromise. There's no, no limit. Just a little bit destroys your life. Just, just a little bit. So I'm going to ask you again. Pray that prayer every self. Search me, O Lord. Tell me anything in my life that I need to change. Any allowances that I've brought in that are going to destroy my life. And then Holy Spirit, I'll go do it. I'll make the changes because he can't do it for you. He's a gentleman. So he'll knock. He'll ask. He'll push. He'll prod. He'll get in your business, but he will never make the decision for you. You need to make that change. Holy Spirit, I'll make the change right now in my life, the shift, because I want to be who you've called and created me to be. How much? How much is too much? Zero. Would you stand to your feet? And would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I just want to believe and pray with you today here in Montgomeryville, online, as you're listening, wherever you're at, your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, and uh, I just want to pray that God will give you a whole lot of courage today. Courage. First thing when you pray to God is always built on trust. Trust. I think about that a lot. Trust. Trust builds everything. Trust uh, builds boldness in your life. Trust builds freedom. Trust, it births obedience, it's trust. So when you know Christ, you develop this deep-rooted trust. The Bible says it like this, that you've been adopted into the family of God. That word adoption is really important in Scripture. Because at that time, when you had a baby, you could choose if you wanted to keep it or not. Even when they were born, not just in your womb, like, like we're able to do, uh, but after the baby came, you could choose and say, I don't want this baby. They don't look like I wanted them to look. They don't look like they're going to be healthy. And you literally could dispose of that child. That was your right. The government allowed that. But adoption was different. Adoption was, uh, it happened when somebody came and actually picked you and said, I want you. And when you adopted somebody, they were, your, they were yours forever. Like you couldn't get rid of them legally. So adoption was a big deal. So when the Bible says that God adopts you into his family, what that means is he, he looked at you, he's seen all your, your, your problems, your shame, your warts in life, your, your mistakes, your, 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 your baggage. He looks at you and he'll, he still takes you just as you are. He brings you into his family. He sees you, he loves you in spite of that. And 
and he never, ever gives up on you. That's a, it's a beautiful thing. And so that's what, what it does is you go, oh my gosh, this person who gave up his life for me, Jesus Christ, and adopt, adopts me into his family. I can trust him with my entire life. So the rest of your life, your job is just to listen to the voice of God that loves you and just follow him. That's what you do when you, when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You make a commitment to follow him. I've tried to do life on my own, but for the rest of my life, I'm going to follow him. And here's the thing. Sometimes, because he loves us so much and he gives us free will, that we begin to wander. And we begin to make decisions that ultimately are going to bring pain to us. That he's not mad at you. Listen to me. He's mad for you. It's a difference. He's mad for you. He sees the road that your life is on. He sees your bags are packed for destruction. He watches you in that relationship you shouldn't be in. And he knows what the end game is. And his plan is so good for you that he'll do anything he can to get you back in the right direction. And sometimes that comes in the form of a word that feels convicting, that feels like it's in your business, that it would be easier to make excuses about. It would be easier to uh, just get out of here and not make the changes. But he won't let you. He's here. He's here. Hey, get rid of that. Hey, make that change. Hey, let that go. Stop making that okay in your life. My, 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 my plan is better than that. My ways are higher. And I love it because he graciously says, okay, I'm, I'm speaking to you. You can change and everything in your life can begin to shift. You, you can listen. You, you, you can obey. Everything can change. I love that. That's what I love about church. And it's not just a place you come and you sit for an hour, but literally it can begin to shift and change the very person that you are. If you would give the Lord permission. So as he's speaking to you right now, maybe, maybe you're in this place, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior with every, everybody kind of thinking and worrying about themselves. But, but as I speak, man, you don't know Christ, you need to. You need to have a relationship with him. You need to um, ask him to forgive your sins. You need to get yourself right, so to speak, with him. You, you're, you're not where you need to be. And you know it. Some of you used to know him and you've wandered away and you've tried to do life on your own. And if you're just honest enough, and church is a great place to be honest, your life's a mess. You've tried on your own strength and you can't do it. And for some of you, uh, you've been trying your entire life and you're just, you're just here and you've just realized like this is, this is a road leading to nowhere. And I love it because the Bible says that Jesus Christ pursues us. He runs after us. That when we, when we choose to stop running, that when we turn, he's right there. And it doesn't make it hard to find him. That he knocks at the door of our hearts. That he deeply and desperately gave up his life for you. And he just wants a relationship with you today. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. He wants to speak with you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to guide you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. The Bible says that he's like a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But that's what church is all about, that we have a relationship with our creator. So what do you do? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he came and died on the cross for your sins, and on the third day he rose in power, he defeated death and hell, that if you would confess and believe, 
And he would come into your life and he would heal you. He would make you whole. He would forgive you. He would set you free. And he would promise you a place in eternity. That this is not the end for you. That when you take your last breath on this earth, that the Bible says your next breath will be with Jesus. And I want to pray with you as we close. I don't know Jesus Christ, but I need to. I need to make him the Lord of my life. I need to ask him to forgive my sins. I need him to heal me, and I need him to make me whole. With nobody looking around in this moment, if you would say, hey, pastor, that's me. I don't know Christ, but I need to. I need to ask him to forgive my sins, heal me, make me whole. Both here in Montgomeryville, if you would say, hey, that's me. Would you just real quickly, would you just shoot your hand straight straight towards heaven and say, hey, I, I, I need Christ. I need him to forgive me. I need him to heal me. I need him to set me free. If you're in Montgomeryville, you would just keep your hand held high. And hey, do me a favor. If you're online, maybe you would just type right there on on, on the chat. Uh, I'm responding to the gospel of Jesus Christ right now. I want him to come in and heal me and and, and make me whole. Hey, church, as people respond, I'm just going to begin to pray. And would you just pray with me all over this place? Lord, we love you and we thank you for this day. And Lord, we thank you, Father, for what you've done through your word, Lord, for how you challenge us, uh, shape us, move us. Lord, comfort us. Lord, how it heals us, Lord, and how it sets us free. Lord, I thank you for your presence that that, that you promised uh, to bring, Lord, that you're here right now, Lord. And when you show up, incredible, life-changing things happen, Lord. And so we're grateful for that. We're grateful for all that you continue to do in our lives through this church, Lord. As we leave this place, Lord, every week we remember uh, that we're called to be the church. That means we're called to be light and salt to this earth that we're in our neighborhoods, that we're in our places of work, that we're in our schools, that wherever we go, Lord, our businesses, that we're there to make a difference for you, that we're there to represent your kindness, your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. Thank you once again for being here with us, and thank you for everything that you continue to do. In Jesus' name we pray. One more time, church. Let's shout amen together. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.